13. And for those of you that were here uh, about three weeks ago, before we jumped into kind of this, we had a play and, and we did a Christmas sermon and uh, before we did that, we were in this chapter, and we began this chapter. We're going to finish this chapter tonight. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are all about the beginning, the origins of the universe, uh, all the way through Noah. And then Noah's children, uh, after the, the ark comes to rest at the mountains of Ararat, and the, and the next portion of history, really, it's, it's all about Abram or Abraham, as he'll be named next week. I think in chapter 17, we get his name changed. But, but we're studying this man, Abram, and since chapter 12, all the way through chapter 25, it's all about him. And why is he so important? Why is it so important for you and I as Christians to understand Abram? And really, the important thing is we covered it back in chapter 15, verse 5, where Abram believed God and it was counted to him as what? righteousness. He is the father of Christian faith because like in the Old Testament with Abram, so it is for the New Testament believer. We put our faith in Jesus and that's accounted to us as righteousness. Same, it's the same Old Testament, New Testament. It was just Abram's the father of our faith. He's also the father of the Jewish people. So we're getting the origins of the Jewish people, the beginnings, the book of beginnings, Genesis. We're getting the beginning of faith, and now we're launching into his life and we're getting, he's learning, he's growing as a, as a young believer. He's flubbing, he's making mistakes, he's not putting his faith completely in God. That's what we're learning about this man. But by the time we finish the study, you'll learn that he has learned through the trials of life how to really trust and, and honor the Lord. So we're in chapter 16 with your Bibles open. Let's ask God's blessing on his word tonight. Father, how grateful we are for the word. And as we've committed ourselves, Lord, to your word, God's word, our unshakable foundation for the year, as we will come again and again on Wednesday night to study your word, I pray that you would put a freshness and a new life in our hearts, a hunger, Lord, that's unquenchable for your word. For, Lord, in it we find life. And, and in these, this history that we're reading, the things that we're learning, you're teaching us, Lord. And this is fascinating, and it's, it's encapt, it encapsulates all of the things of, of you and your word and, and what life is and, and the origins here. And I pray, Lord, that we would get excited about your word and learning it. I pray on Sunday morning the body would come to, to learn what the Apostle John writes and as we look at chapter 2 next Sunday. And then on Sunday night we'd learn the, 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 the wonderful book of Isaiah as we work our way chapter by chapter through there. And Lord, here on Wednesday night, Lord, open our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit to your word. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Again, we, we tackled this chapter three weeks ago. And uh, at that time, I had a different title. Tonight's title is Sarai's Bad Decision, because as you recall, when we left off a few weeks ago, this, this study really is about Sarai and how she, she gives her, her handmade Hagar to her husband as a wife. Un unbelievable, ladies, right? When you read this story, you go, what was going on in her brain? I mean, was she dumb or brain dead or what? And, and we're, fi we're finding here that, that not only Sarai made a bad decision, but so did Abraham. They weren't willing to wait for the Lord. 
They weren't waiting on God. They, they launched out onto their own and decided, well, we can't wait for you, Lord. Uh, we, we, it's taken you too long. We're just going to do our own thing and provide for ourselves our way. Bad plan, Christians, whenever you launch into your own way and your own plan. I can do this myself. It's always a bad plan. And here we get the example of what that means and what that is in this text of Scripture. Again, it's been 10 years when you get to chapter 16. It's been 10 years since God had promised Abram a son. 10 years, month after month. Wow, did God give you, say he's going to give you a son, Abram? What? What's going on? Well, yes, he did. He told me he was going to give me a son. You just pipe down and wait. Well, well, when is it going to happen? Year after year. When is it going to happen? I thought you might be pregnant. I'm not. I'm not. What's happening here? Off, on and on this goes, 10 years. She's not getting any younger. Abram's not getting any younger as well. And, and again, the question I asked a few weeks ago is the same one tonight. What do you do when you look forward to God's promise, but it hasn't happened yet? What do you do? Do you wait on God? Do you trust him in his promises? Do you look at his word and hold to that? Or do you just launch out on your own and do your own thing and try to help God out? I'm going to help God out. Watch me. Watch me help God out. Who wants to really watch people help God? I mean, I I don't want to watch. But we all do that. Those are the things that we're learning by looking and examining Abram's life, we learn these things. These are for our benefits so that we can learn and grow in our Christian experience and, and kind of jump ahead of all these failures of, of these, these early, early saints. So that's really what we're to learn here. So we begin here in chapter 16 with Abram waiting 10 years. And we have Sarai, verse 1. Abram's wife had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Notice, Egyptian. Where did she come from? Remember, he went without consulting God, without waiting on the Lord. He left Canaan and he went to Egypt during the famine. He wasn't supposed to do that, but he disobeyed and he just thought, God, I'm going to take life into my own hands. And when he did, he goes down to Egypt. He comes back with a lot of stuff, but he comes back with this woman, Hagar, too. If he would have never went to Egypt, he would have never had this problem with Hagar to begin with. So this really is an ongoing thing in his life. And it says in verse 2, so Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in, honey, please go in to my maid. L- sisters, listen, what she please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice. Oh, okay. <laughs> then Sarah, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar. <laughs> the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So again, this passage is all about choices that they're making here. Sarai and Abram, they're going to make these choices. 10 years, going to help God out now, which is obviously not God's will for their lives. God's will is for them to wait. God's will is for them to just trust in him, not really trusting in him. They're, they're going to help God out here. It's a bad decision. So here we have number one, my first point tonight, Sarai's choice. Here's her choice. Verse two, Sarai said to Abram, see now that the Lord has restrained me from being, bearing children, please go to my maid. Perhaps she'll obtain a child by her. So she's trying to help God out. Again, we looked at these last week. I just wanted to kind of go over these or three weeks ago. Wanted to go over these real quickly with you. So Sarah's plan, Sarah's plan here, 
it's just, it's, it's laughable, it's funny, it's sad at the same time. Her trying to help God out. And there's a couple of things that we can learn from this bad decision that she's making. First of all, there's no mention of consulting God. There's no mention of prayer here. Important to see that. Christians, it's so important for us to come to the Lord and ask him. And when we ask the Lord, you know, it says in James, if we come, that God will give us generously. God will liberally answer. But we have to come to the Lord. There's no mention of that. In, with either Abram, this great man of God, not at this point. He's learning. And there's no mention of that in her life either. They, they weren't praying or seeking the Lord. Secondly, they didn't wait. They, she, she may have thought, you know, I'm past childbearing years. When is this going to happen? I got to help God out. Again, a bad plan. But, but again, when you read this and, and you see what she's saying, honey, Honey, just, just you know, God's kind of forgetting, forgotten us. And, and why don't you just go and, and, and take her as, as your, my handmaiden, you know, Hagar, as your wife. Just go ahead and, and God will provide a child through her. I mean, it's, it's almost unthinkable. This is Sarai's bad choice. But then Abraham, he, his choice is no better. My second point, Abram's choice here, verse, at the end of verse 2. And Abram heeded. He listened to the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her handmaid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. I mean, not just lover, but wife. I mean, it's really interesting the way this is working out. It's easy to see, again, what's happening between the two of them. They didn't pray. They didn't wait, neither one of them. And so Abram and Sarai here, they're not trusting God. They're not trusting his promises. They're not waiting on the Lord. Instead, they're really doubting God. They're doubting, is God really faithful? Is God really going to answer our prayer? Now, let me just ask the question, how many times have you been in that place? I've been in that place a lot as a Christian. I've been there. And, and for some reason, I, I don't always learn. I get back in that place and I start to doubt God. God, is it me? Is it you? Is it what are you doing? You promised, but I don't see it coming to fruition. They tried in their flesh to find a way to make it happen without God. That's the problem. They weren't waiting on the Lord. Again, the application. We, we look at this story and we say, it's ludicrous. It's foolish. Why would they do that? I mean, we, in our vantage point, reading the scriptures, we're so quick to, to uh, see this story for, for kind of what it is without applying it to our own lives. Again, I, the Bible is written so that we'll apply it to our lives, so that we'll learn from it. Instead of waiting and praying for God, they step out without God. And here's, here's the truth here. Let me just say this. Listen carefully. God won't step in to prevent us from making serious mistakes. If we choose not to, to seek him, God won't intervene. Have you found that to be true in your life? This is a warning here. We know what the word says. We understand what it says. And then we decide, okay, I'm just going to go do this because my flesh and my feeling, my, I feel like it. I just want to do it. And so we move into that area and we start to do it. And well, God really loves me. He'll intervene. No, no, this isn't a chess game. You're called to know God's word. That's why we need to study it more. That's why church is important. You, you need a pastor that's going to teach you verse by verse through the Bible, not just one that'll tell you stories. 
And as we go through the Bible, we learn these things so that we ourselves don't fall into these traps and temptations and, and difficulties in life. But the truth is that God doesn't always step in to prevent us from making these bad choices. How many times have you decided, I'm just going for it. Uh, I, I know what the word of God says, but you know what? I, I just feel like this is going to work. So, so I'm just going to jump in and do it. I feel peace about it. I hear people say, I, I, I prayed about it. Now I have a peace. I, 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 I want to get married really bad. And, and so I, I prayed about it and I just have this peace. I heard Chris, I've heard Christians say, as a pastor, I've heard believers come to me and say, I'm just going to marry that non-Christian because I prayed about it and I feel good about it. What, wait a minute. Number one, you don't pray. You don't pray about marrying a non-Christian. You don't pray about that because God prohibits that, right? So if you're praying about something that God already prohibits, you're asking God to change his will. That's a serious error. That's a serious sin that you're involved in by, Lord, you know, just make this work for me because I feel like it. You don't do that. And when you do that, you're going to fail and just like these two are failing, God has already forbidden certain things in his word. And so don't pray about those things that he's forbidden because basically you're sinning when you do that. Don't ask God to change his word. He doesn't change his word for you. We need to obey his word. We need to align ourselves. word, And that's what prayer is all about. Prayer aligns my will with his will. Not my will, but thine be done, Jesus prayed. And as I pray about a situation, Lord, I really feel like this is the right person. I really feel like this is the right decision. I really feel like this, but Lord, what is it that you want me to do? I'm going to wait on you and trust you. And, and as you're doing that, you're reading the Bible daily. And maybe a brother or sister comes to you and says, hey, you know what the Bible says about that? And they read it to you. And now you have God's answer. You have God's will. He, it's right there in the scripture. Prayer gets you to stop and align your will to the Lord. And you ask the Lord. Then you wait on the Lord. And you listen to the Lord all those times. And God speaks through his word. I, I love that about prayer. Prayer sets your heart right so that God can lead you. That's what prayer is all about. It's not to get your will done. Is to align yourself with the Lord. And, and so many people, prayer changes things. And I love that. I, I, love, I see that a lot. And you'll see uh, U-Turn for Christ and Jerry Brown's church down at Calvary Romaland has that all over the nation. They went with, with Franklin Graham when they were doing all those prayer at the capitals, you know, be, before the election. He was going around. They had prayer changes things. They, you saw him in all these different places. And I, I love that. What prayer does is it doesn't change the, the specific thing you're working toward or praying about, it changes your attitude toward that. And then God changes your heart and then he leads you in his righteousness for his glory, for his purpose to be accomplished. That's really what prayer is all about. He, he reveals what we should do, but he won't necessarily stop us if we don't seek him to be obedient. That's, that's a very... Uh, a hard lesson to learn, but we learn that as we go through life. So when we do our will instead of, of uh, his will, and we choose our own ways, we, we get in trouble. Just like Sarah and Abram here in this story. They didn't wait on God. They didn't pray because they 
wanted to do their own thing, and they wanted to do it their way. So we've taught this, and I, I've, I've shared this with you, and you know this, but, but when God delays an answer, when you're asking the Lord to, to answer your prayer, and there's some things that I'm asking the Lord to do, and, and it's been years, some things in this fellowship that I'm praying, praying for, and that really, they, they shake me at times, but I have to just remain honest and, and faithful and pray about those things over and over again, because here's the truth. Notice this little point here. God's delays are not God's denials. They're not. We just need to wait on the Lord. Think about this real quick. David. David was anointed to be the king of Israel, but Saul had the military behind him. And for 15 years, he's chasing David all over the desert. He's trying to kill David. David's already been anointed by Saul or Samuel. Samuel has already anointed, but King Saul is after David. He's trying to kill David because he doesn't want David to take his throne away. And for 15 years, David was like, what? What was that? I got the oil and everything, and I was anointed by, I'm supposed to be the king, and here I am running out in the wilderness. I'm, I'm running away from everybody. But here's the, the, the important part about that. David, although he was hunted by crazy King Saul, and he probably doubted his future, he knew he had to wait on the Lord. Here's a great verse here from 1 Samuel about that episode there. It says, look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. Now, remember the story? David is hiding, and, and we were in En Gedi last year. There was a group of us that were there in, in Gedi. And you see, you look up into this, it's desert, desert, no plants, just rocks and nasty dirt. And you look up in these ravines and there's little caves all over. So he was hiding in these caves. Saul is wandering around trying to find him, has to use the facilities, goes into the shade. You know, he goes into the cave to kind of relieve himself. And then he falls asleep. And he falls asleep in, in the same cave where David and his men are hiding. And in, in Getty, there's a cave up there that could easily hold 300 men. It's, they're massive up there above that, that natural spring. And so, you know the story. David goes and he, 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 uh, he, could, he can kill him. And his men want him to kill him, but he doesn't do it. He cuts off the hem of his garment, you know, and later on shows it. Hey, I could have killed you. Here's the hem of your garment. But here it is. Here's the story. Uh, today, I, I, God could deliver you in the hand of the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord. Why? Here's the reason. For he is the Lord's anointed. In other words, God had your life in his hands. I'm going to let God take care of you. I'm not going to do it. And he had two opportunities to, to off Saul, David did, but he didn't take advantage. David is a great example. In the desert, waiting 15 years, running as a fugitive, he had the opportunity to kill King Saul, but didn't do it because he knew that God had a purpose. And so he waited on the Lord. He's a great example of that. But here's Sarai, she makes a bad decision. She gives Hagar, her handmaid, to his, her husband, Abram. And then Abram makes a bad decision to accept Hagar. And that all led to this. Here's, here's where we kind of pick up the story from last time, the consequence of their choices. Here's the consequence, verse four, the end of verse 4. And when she saw, when Sarai saw that Hagar had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. 
And then Sarai said, verse 5 to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Now, here's the consequences of this. Look, look what happens to their marriage. I mean, sin brings forth a consequence here. The consequences are bad choices, both Sarai and Abram. Number one was the marriage was affected. Every time Abram was with Hagar, Sarah is hurt. She's hurt by this. No, is there any wonder, ladies? I mean, when you think about it. Even though it was her idea, she, she's hurt over this. The thought of her husband being with Hagar makes her jealous. And it's her jealousy that leads to this next consequence, which is anger and hatred. And you see that at the end of verse 4, where it says she was despised in her eyes. That word despised there in the Hebrew is kalal. And it means to be cursed. Curse you and I hate you. And vileness and hatred. That's what that word means. She hated her. One day, she's serving. You know, the, the handmaid Hagar was serving Sarai. They had this friendship. Everything's good. And then the next thing, she hates her. And it's, it really happens quickly. Everything's fine until she sees something. She sees that she's pregnant. She sees the baby bump. She sees it. And, and now she's, she's really mad. She's, she's vile. She's filled with anger and hatred. That's what the scripture is, is telling us here. And then, to make things worse, Abram, he pretends like, well, this is my problem. This is your problem. This is your dumb idea. I mean, look what he does here. It's verse 6. So Abram said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. What, what kind of marriage relationship? I mean, talk about dysfunction. These guys are upside down because of their bad decision. Their marriage is affected. And then Abram, he ignores his responsibility to be head and leader, headship and leadership in the home with this whole situation. And he says to, his, he says to Sarai, this is your problem. He got her pregnant, but it's your problem. This is your idea. Don't come to me when you're whining. That's, that's really what he's, he's saying there. And the third thing, the third consequence that I'm going to highlight here at the end of verse 6 is Sarai treated Hagar with contempt. Notice how he, she treats her handmaid. It says at the end of verse 6, And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now, this bad decision that leads to jealousy and anger, it, it plays out in this blame shifting. She blames him, her husband, and he blames her, the wife. And then, and then she starts beating up on Sarai. It says there that, that she, she treats her harshly. So we can only imagine, I don't know, she has a stick or a broom or something. She's beating on her. And it's, it's just, again, this whole situation, there's, there's no love, there's no respect for each other. They're, they're both guilty of doing wrong things. And, and now, because they didn't wait, because they didn't pray, their marriage is upside down. And it just proves how foolish we can be when we ignore God and when we take things into our own hands. So no Christian that disregards God's commands should ever expect to grow in the Lord, to move forward in their Christian experience. When you put God's word aside, when you make decisions based on your feeling, don't expect to grow as a Christian. 
man, I feel like I haven't gone anywhere. My prayer just kind of go to the top of my head. I, I don't really ascend to heaven. God doesn't really bless me and show me and lead me. Why? Well, maybe there's some area in your life where you've been disobedient. Let the Lord show that to you, Christian. Spend some time in prayer and just say, Lord, what is it? Maybe it's something that happened just recently. And as you confess that to the Lord, I love the truth that God reestablished. He loves you. You're his child. He, he, as you confess that, as you agree with him that what you've done is wrong and sin, then he forgives you. 1 John 1, 9. And he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful truth. We just need to admit our failures and admit what we've done is wrong. So now we see Hagar. She's abused and she runs away from her hand or from uh, a Sarai, the woman that she was serving. It says at the end of verse 6, she fled from her presence. So she leaves because of the, the treatment that she's getting from Sarai. She's threatened. She's abused. She's punished. For what? You know, it wasn't her idea. It was really Sarai's idea. But that's when God meets Hagar. And I love this truth. And don't, don't underestimate this, that God loves. God loves this Egyptian woman. She wasn't chosen. And think about this. She wasn't chosen. She was just around Abram. Abram's the one that's being blessed. And this blessing is going through him and, and even through this illegitimate child, in a sense. The blessings from God are coming right through. And, and God loves. God is loving through this man, and, he, and God, lo- it's, it's a beautiful picture. I could go off on that one for a while, but, but here's my, my point here is God tells Hagar to return. I, I, I did the misspelling. It wasn't the PowerPoint person. God tells a- Hagar to return. I'm looking at it here saying that didn't make any sense, but, but so I can see I made that mistake there. But here's what we see in verse 7. Notice with me. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water, in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. So here she is. She's beaten. She's abused. And she runs away and she ends up at the spring of water, which is a good place to be. And he said, the angel of the Lord. Hmm, I wonder who that is. The angel of the Lord, Hagar, Sarah's maid. Where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I'm probably weeping. I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, you need to return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. So God comes to Hagar and God ministers to this broken and hurting soul. Oh, I I love the fact that the angel of the Lord, again, I, I believe this is one of those Christophanies in the Bible. In the Old Testament, Jesus shows up, the angel of the Lord. We're going to see some more about that. But, but God's heart and God's love for the outcast, God's love for the, the unloving, the ones that have been abused, the ones that have been hurt. Isn't this a beautiful thing? God comes to her in her hurt, and he speaks to her. But what he says to her is really interesting. I want you to go back. I want you to be obedient to me. Now, Sarai and Abram have not been obedient to God. And here's Hagar. An interesting thing, too, is in this text, you'll never see God speaking to Abram or Sarai. You'll never see that. But God speaks to Hagar. 
And he tells Hagar, you need to go back. And you need to submit yourself back to that, that place. I mean, this, this is so unlike the world. The world says, you know, if somebody mis- mistreats you and they do this to you, you do it back to them. Do it twice to them. But, but in God's economy, even in the New Testament, Jesus said, turn the other what? Somebody slaps you, somebody mistreats you, whatever, in, in Jesus' name. You, this is what's happening here. This is, I believe this is Christ. And he says to Hagar, you need to go back and submit. And so she's at the, the spring. I just ran from this wild, crazy woman. What, should I go back there? I don't know if I want to go back there. But she's ministered to by the Lord. And she is going to be obedient to the Lord. Unlike these two spiritual giants, Abram and Sarai. Interesting. The angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress, verse 9, and submit yourself to her hand. The reason, or the question is why? Why would God send her back? And first, here's a couple of applications we can make again from the story. God always wants his people to face their problems his way, not your way. He wants you to go back to ask forgiveness from that person that you mistreated. He wants you to go back, make restitution if you've really done wrong. And, and that just continues in your heart and mind as you pray. It comes up over and over and over again. God wants you to take care of that. So you just need to submit. You need to go back, submit to that person, say, I'm sorry, uh, whoever it is for whatever it is. Running away from relationship never helps anybody in any way, does it? It never solves a problem. You'll always have that inside. You'll always have that remorse you'll, until you take care of it. God always wants us to take care of those issues. And here's a great example in the Bible. Jonah. Jonah, he's one of the best examples. God said, go and, and proclaim against the Ninevites. Jonah says, mm-mm, goes the other way. He's in a fish. Remember, he, God's, God's going to handle this. And so he's in the belly of a fish. And from inside this belly of a fish, God gets his attention. And God says, no, uh, excuse me, you're going to do what I command you to do. And when you do, you know, I'll, 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 treat, I'll treat you right and I'll forgive these Ninevites, which was a beautiful truth about God and his forgiveness. And here, Hagar, she goes back to be Sarai's maid and, and serve her mistress. That was her job. Why? Because God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. I'm going to say it one more time because this is such an important truth for you. God is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. In our postmodern world, it's all about how you feel. And truth is whatever you make it. You know, and if things don't go your way, you can always go to the cry room right now. Here's the truth. God is more concerned with your holiness through the trial, through the difficulty, through the thing that you're going through, whatever. He wants you to go back and do the right thing. And he's more concerned about holiness than your feeling of happiness. And when you learn that, Christian, you'll be, your, your life will have more joy. You'll have more joy in your life. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to face your problems. He wants you to accomplish that. Here's what James Boyce says. And I have this quote here for you. When we have made a wrong choice in life, the only thing to do is return to the point where we went wrong and start over. Anything else only takes you farther and farther away from God. I, that's, it's a truth. You'll see it over and over again from, from uh, different 
uh, leaders, Christian leaders that I have great respect for and, and writers, they'll tell you this. And it's been so true. I believe that to be true. God is more concerned with your holiness than just your happiness. So the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar. And the angel of the Lord says, okay, I want you to return and go back to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Return and face the difficult situation. And, and guess what? When you do that, just trust me, God says. I can handle that. Oh, Pastor Lee, you don't know my boss. He'd fire me. Trust the Lord. You going to trust your boss or trust the Lord? You need to trust the Lord. You need to put your faith in God and let God do what he is going to do. You be obedient and let God work it all out. I, this, this principle is so true. I can't say that I bat a, a, a thousand at this. I mean, I, I fail as, as you fail. God help us to be people that are obedient to his word and trust the Lord in difficult situations. I'm sure for Hagar, this was really hard to hear. Can you imagine? Sarah's like, or Sarah's like when, when Hagar walks back into her house, she's, get out of here. I'm going to, and runs after her with a, a broomstick. And then Hagar says, but, but God told me to return. And so whatever you do, and she bends down before, you know, to get struck again. Can you imagine that conversation, the, what's going on in the house at that time? Because Hagar obeys, God is going to promise something very special. And catch this. Here it is. God's promise to Hagar. My next point, verse 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. Wait a minute. Isn't that what God told Abram? Isn't that what he told him? Wasn't that his blessing? But now it's going to this obedient woman, Hagar. So now I'm going to multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Wow. Similar, isn't it? Verse 11, and the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. The word or the name Ishmael means God hears, God hears. I want you to name him. God hears. Why? Because Hagar was weeping at that spring. Hagar was broken at this. Well, what am I doing? What do I have to do? And, and she's calling out, and then, and then the Lord shows up. She's in distress. She's hurting. And the Lord shows up to bring comfort and encouragement and direction in her life. Every time this woman, Hagar, would say, God hears, where are you? God hears, it's time to eat. God hears, come to mommy, Ishmael. She's reminded of God that heard her request, that God who brought healing and restoration through her obedience. It's really a beautiful truth. And then in verse 12 here, God reveals who this man Ishmael's going to be. This is really interesting. He shall be a wild man. That describes a lot of little babies, doesn't it? His hand shall be against every man. Wow, this is a different kind of cat. And every man's hand will be against him. Hmm. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. In other words, he's going to be around all these other people, but he's going to be in his offspring. They're going to be contentious. They're going to be fighting all the time. They're a very contentious people. Today's battle against Jews and, and Arabs. You ever notice the Middle East is like the biggest problem in the world? And it's between the who? The Jews? Of Palestinians, 
or the Jews and the Arabs. It's, it's the offspring, Ishmael, who is the Arab nation. And here he's described. And think about this, the Arab nation. The angel of the Lord said, you're going to be with child. Call him Ishmael. He'll be an affliction, verse 12. He'll be a wild man against every man and every man's hand against him. Now, you might, have Arab descent. you might be of Arab descent. That doesn't mean you're a wild man. We're kind of in a, in a, a new time within, of the church. You can have a new nature. You can, but still, there's this contention. It goes on in the Middle East. There's these people that, that continue to hate one another, the Arabs and the Jews. It just goes on and on. And it's between Ishmael and this Isaac who would come later and his descendants, the Jews. It's very interesting. Both Jews and Arabs are descendants from these two half-brothers here, descendants of Abram. So the entire Jewish-Arab conflict, it goes back to Sarah's bad decision to help God out. I'm going to help you out, Lord. I'm going to make this decision to help you out. I'm just going to give my handmaiden to my husband. He's going to have a child. And look at all the... The, the effect of that. Now, here's another truth about this story, and that's God is sovereign, and he supernaturally is working in the life of all of these different people to bring about his purpose. So you say, well, how come there's so much hate between the two? There's a purpose there. There's a plan there. It's God's sovereign plan. It's God who initiated it. It's God who supersedes it. God's ways are not our ways. Can anybody say amen to that? It's radically different. And when you read the story, you go, gee, and you scratch your head. But the truth is that if, if Sarah had not done that, she wouldn't have gone through all of this, but God would have done something else to, to accomplish his plan. This, but this was God's plan. And because God hears Hagar, she responds to God's promise. And this is where it gets really good before we get in communion. Notice the God who sees, verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have also here seen him who sees me. God came to her, the, the angel of the Lord, in, a, in the form of a man. It's, it's a Christophany, Jesus shows up and he blesses her and, and he um, forgives her and gives her direction. And it's really a beautiful picture of Jesus here. And when God sees her, she sees God and her whole life changes. Listen, when you see Jesus, your whole life changes. When you come to Christ, everything changes. Look at verse 13 again. She called the name, or the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. That's, that's Bear Lahairoi. Kind of an interesting side note is the first time I went to Mexico to the first mission before Jeannie Sue went to Casa del Pastor, Jeannie and Lisa were at this place called Lahairoi. And Lahairoi was another place in San Vicente that, that I, I'd gone there several times with a group of youth and we did some outreach there and we actually dug a cistern. We took a week there were like 10 of us, and we picked and dug through that hard soil. We didn't have a backhoe. You could have done that in a day. We were just digging away. I've got pictures of people from even the worship team that had gone with me, Gary and, and uh, uh, Cindy uh, and, and others. that were, We were down in this hole for a week. We just kept digging, digging. That was at La Jairoy, which was a, this, this mission down in Mexico. 
but, but a beautiful thing, the God who sees, that was the name of that mission before they moved to a different location in San Vicente and it became Casa del Pastor. A little history for you that, that know the, some of that story. But Hagar knew. She, she heard from this, this angel who was no mere angel who appeared to her the Lord, the God who sees, Lahiroi. Now, this teaches us really quickly that God sees everything that we go through. God is the God that sees everything. He knows everything. He's with us at all times. And I love this psalm. This is a beautiful psalm that kind of helps us to understand that. Notice this psalm. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? That God always hears, that God always sees, that God's always available. We can be confident that God is a God, Lahiroi, that God always sees and that God always hears. He heard Hagar, he saw and met with Hagar, and he blessed her. That's why she called him Lahiroi, the God who sees. And then verse 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael or God hears. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So there's the whole story with Sarah and her bad decision. Sarah and Abram who didn't wait on the Lord. We still see God's blessing. We still see God's hand. It's, it's again, I love to study the Bible. There's so much in here. And the application for us could be for you, whatever you face tonight, the question is, will you trust God or will you try to help him out? <laughs> will you trust God and obey his word or are you just going to trust your feeling and try to help God? God, I'm going to help you out. Is that a good or a bad plan to help God out? It's a bad plan. You don't want to do that. You want to wait on the Lord. You want to trust in the Lord. Will you make the same mistake that Abram and Sarai made or will you wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that we have your word. What a blessing, Lord. And this wonderful history that we've read about this father of, of faith, Abraham and his wife in their beginning. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't make the same mistake as we, as we move into 2017, that we wouldn't rush out and make our own decision and, and, and do what we shouldn't do. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to trust and wait. To not be the Christian that tries to help you out. But to be the Christian that, that comes in prayer. And out of obedience, waits on you. Waits for your will. Waits for your answer. Waits to do the, the, the right thing, Lord, according to your word. Lord, help us to be that kind of people that wait on you. Tonight, Lord, as we now move into our communion time, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to come to you in this place. Just to, to center our focus and our attention on you. Father, you're so good to us. And as we remember all that Jesus did on our behalf to die in our place, to take away our sin by, by sacrifice,
sacrificial death on the cross and shedding of blood for remission of sin. Lord, as we consider all that you've done, Lord Jesus, on our behalf, may we as your people be thankful and grateful. Help us, Lord, to remember all that you've done. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.